Becoming Christmas. This is our Advent series for this year. And so this is what we're going to be talking about, some of the different uh, emotions and experiences and, and ideas that revolve around this idea of Christmas. But we're going to try to take it a step further. So Christmas isn't just going to be something that we experience this year. Uh, we want it to be something that we can become, that we can carry with us, something that we can live out and embody to those people around us. So uh, this week is the first of four, uh, four weeks, and Pastor and I will be swapping back and forth. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about the idea of peace. Now, Advent is a, it's a time of it's, it's a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation, uh, anticipation. You're getting ready to celebrate the birthday of Jesus Christ. And so during this time, um, we're, we're, we're thinking about what does that mean? You know, th- it's a time where you prepare your hearts and, 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 you know, think about it. When you, you get ready to celebrate Christmas with your family, you don't just everybody show up. There's a lot of preparation and work that goes into it. You decorate the house just so, uh, you, you, uh, bake cookies and cakes and pies and all those sorts of things. And, and hopefully when Christmas arrives, people walk in the door, you want that wow moment, man, this is something special. Right, and, and that's what you want to do in your spirit as well. When Christmas arrives, it shouldn't just be another day. It shouldn't just be that time where you, you get to tear into some presents or, or see the joy on your kids or your grandkids' faces when they get that toy that they've been hoping for. No, it, it should be a special experience. And so that is what this season of Advent is about. It's about waiting. It's about anticipation. And then Christmas season is actually those 12 days after. If you've heard the song 12 Days of Christmas, uh, that's those 12 days that fall after December 25th, and you're celebrating the the birth of Christ. So one of the ideas that is frequently brought about uh, during this period is we talk about peace. Peace comes from uh, the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, The Greek word is erene. Uh, So uh, my sister's name is Aaron. And so when we were children, I discovered that her name meant peace. And I thought, this is strange. Have they met my sister? This is not her, right? Uh, maybe mom and dad got that one a little wrong. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, this idea of shalom, uh, it, it's a very rich word. Uh, it's, it's not a noun. It, it's actually a verb. It's something that you do. You don't just have shalom. You, 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 you do shalom. All right, and so this had several different ideas behind it. Uh, first of all, it, it's it's the idea of perfection, everything being just the way it is. When when the the stonemason would go out and he'd cut a piece of of, of stone and and shape it and form it uh, to to be used in in a building or in construction, if it was perfect, if it was perfectly even and, and shaped the way it should be, if there were no cracks, no blemishes in the stone, it was called shalom. If uh, if you went out. And, and you counted all your sheep, and, and, and you counted your herds and your flocks, and all of the sheep were there, and none were missing. Your tents, that's what Job said. He said, my tents are in shalom, because I went and I counted my sheep, and none were missing. They were all present. Um, shalom can have this idea of well-being. It's, it's your health. It's your well-being. It's how much you're thriving and flourishing. Uh, when Jesse sent David out to check on his brothers, he said, go check on their shalom. How are they doing? You know, are, are, they, are they doing well? Are they thriving? Are they flourishing? Okay. Um, it has an idea of completion. 
When, when Solomon uh, finished the temple and they got ready to have their big dedication ceremony, they said the last few things uh, that were done, when they put those last few uh, decorative items in place, it said the temple was brought into a, a state of shalom. Um, it, it has an idea of, of restoration. Uh, in the Old Testament law, if, if uh, one of your animals got out and, and caused some damage in another person's fields or, or harmed another person's animals, uh, you would have to make reparations. This was called shalom. You would, you would bring it back into shalom. You would put things back the way they were supposed to be. If you were caught stealing, then you had to make reparations. That was also considered shalom. And then it also had this idea of, of reconciliation. Um, when, whenever you, uh, a relationship was broken, and uh, a trust was broken, and you began to heal that, that relationship and, and put it back the way it was supposed to be, that was called bringing shalom. And then you could also make shalom. Uh, in the, the Old Testament prophets, they would talk about uh, you know, two nations that were at war with each other, and, and there was a, a, an end, a cease to the conflict, and that was called making shalom. And it went beyond just a, a cessation of hostilities. It, it was actually, we're no longer fighting, but we're now actively working to benefit each other. So you can see that shalom has a lot of different layers and, and, and flavors and, and complexity to it. And, and it, it actually became just a, a way of, of, of summing up that things are the way they should be. Um, it, it, the Jewish people still use this term shalom as a greeting because they're saying, listen, they're, they're not just saying hello. They're saying, I, I want you to have shalom in your life. It, it's, a, it's not just a greeting. It's a blessing that they're speaking over you. So shalom is something uh, that, that the Jewish people and, and then the, the, the people of Jesus' time, they really understood this concept. And then they took this concept and they applied it to Christ. Um, and, and they used it to describe Jesus' arrival into the world, uh, what his mission was going to be, and what the results were going to be for all of us. What the benefits were going to be for us was we would have shalom. Shalom is something that we should be seeking. It should be something that we, we desire for ourselves and for everyone around us. And so we want to explore that a little bit more today. So this term shalom, which we translate to mean peace, uh, when we look in Scripture, we see several things about it. Number one, peace was promised. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this is a very famous prophecy. Uh, they, they talk about it every Christmas. Uh, so it'll sound familiar to it, but it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. And his, uh, his government and its shalom will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, was trying to let people know, hey, shalom is coming. You know, you look around yourself and you see the crazy things that are going on in the world, and it can be disappointing, it can be frustrating. Last night, we were watching some football games, and when the football games, games ended, then uh, some news programs came on, and Elizabeth said, you've just got to turn that off. I can't, I can't take the negativity tonight. I don't want to get into that frame of mind, you know? And when we look around the world, it can, it can be like that. And we, we, we think, man, it's so messed up. Where's the shalom? Where, where is it? Where is it? I need it. 
And so Isaiah was saying, the shalom is coming. Um, this gives a, us a glimpse of what things are going to be. It's a restoration back to the way things are supposed to be. And the people of Jesus' time, they were looking for it. They didn't understand what it was going to look like. Their, their idea of the, what the Messiah was going to be, they thought that was going to bring political freedom. They thought he was going to come and, and, and do away with the Roman uh, lords that were over them and the taxation system that was oppressing them. And that was their idea of what Shalom was going to be. And, and Jesus kept trying to describe to them. He said, listen, that, that is not good, right? That's not the way it's supposed to be. But what I'm trying to give you is something better than that. It's Shalom in every area of your life, not just political freedom. The second thing we see about peace is that it was announced. How many of you all have received something in the mail? It's uh, an engagement announcement uh, or, or a, a baby shower announcement. It, it's, a, it's a joyous occasion when it is announced that something good is happening. And we see that also with this idea of peace. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is when the angels came and they, they appeared to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. And they said, hey, listen, we've got some great news for you guys. They, it says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and shalom, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's nothing better than that feeling when you get to deliver some good news, right? Right? No one, no one likes to, do, to, to, to be the bearer of bad news, but man, when you get to deliver the good news, you're like, I cannot wait. That's why with Christmas, I, I can't wait to give my presents away. When I, buy, I, I know I talked about this last year. I don't like to buy presents early because I'm, I'm terrible at keeping the secret. Once I buy it, I just want to give it away because I want to see the, the joy and the appreciation on their face. I'm terrible with it. And so I'm, that's why I'm a last-minute Christmas shopper, and it's not because I'm a procrastinator, right? Um, but anyway, this was great news. Peace had come. Shalom had come. The Messiah that they had waited for, he was here. And so peace was announced. The Savior, the Messiah, was there. Things were going to get better. You know, sometimes we can get into a place where we, we don't have much hope. You know, we, we see a situation and it looks kind of bleak. We, we see a situation, we don't know where the answer is going to come from. And sometimes just having that reassurance that, hey, it's going to get better. Hey, this too will pass. Hey, this will only last for a little while, but joy comes in the morning. You know, these are the things that we have to look forward to. And when we understand that, when we understand that, that we don't have to toil away and, we, and that, that life is just going to be death and misery and despair and that there is hope on the horizon, that gives us peace, a peace that we can hold on to. We don't know where the answer's coming from yet. We don't know how God's going to come through for us, but I know that God is able and I know that God has promised to care for me and that knowledge is what gives me peace. And it's not just something I have, but it's something I do. I live in a state of peace. We also see that peace was accomplished by Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. Everything he reconciled to himself. He made peace. He made shalom with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus came to restore a broken relationship. 
You know, we, through sin, had become disconnected from our Creator. God had designed this beautiful world. He designed a a gorgeous garden, and He put Adam and Eve in it, and, and He wanted to enjoy that garden with Adam and Eve. But because of their choices, because sin entered into the world, because they chose to rebel against him, that relationship had been broken. And and God couldn't enjoy the relationship that he wanted to have with us. You know, uh, Benjamin is is getting older, and I've been having some conversations with him from time to time, and and our relationship is changing. You know, he's not a little kid anymore, so it's not just daddy makes the rules and then you follow them. You know, because he's getting older. He's, he's getting his own ideas of what's appropriate and inappropriate. He has his own ideas and desires and things that he wants to do. And, and so sometimes we end up button heads. And, and just recently I've been saying to him, listen, buddy, you're, you're a freshman. You're in high school. We've only got a couple years left. I really don't want our last few years together to be one of us button heads. You know, now I'm your dad. I still have expectations. I still have things and, and limitations and, and things that I expect you to do. I have, uh, you, you have those, but I don't want our, our last few years together as father, son in this house together to be contentious. And so that's given me kind of a window in, into what God must feel sometimes when he looks at us. He looks at us and, and he sees us making mistakes and he sees us doing things that we shouldn't be doing and getting caught up in, in, in arguments that we shouldn't be having and saying things that we shouldn't say and watching things we shouldn't watch. And, and you can see how it just breaks his heart. He doesn't want to see us suffer the consequences of those choices. And so that's what Jesus did. Jesus came and he said, listen, I'm going to show you a way to fix this. I'm going to show you a way to fix your relationship with your heavenly father. And then through his sacrifice, he provided that bridge. So peace through Jesus was accomplished. And then the other way that that Jesus accomplished peace is that he he fixed the relationship or created the potential for us to fix our relationship with everyone around us too. You know, we're, we're a weird people, Right? Uh, we like the guy next to us. We like the guy who's on our team, who's wearing the same color jersey we're wearing, or who lives in the same city we live in. You know, we're very tribal people. It's just kind of how we're built. We're built to, it's, it's, it's an inbuilt survival mechanism. It's like, hey, I'm going to get together and, and we're going to work together as a team, and then it's going to be us versus the world. But what that tribalism does is it creates artificial divides between us and others. And we divide ourselves based on on whether uh, men and women and and black and white and young and old. And we, we, we draw all these artificial boundaries that just separate us. And what's sad is that it's not just a way of categorizing ourselves, but we actually begin to see the other as enemy, as the enemy. The, the other is against me. And so Jesus has provided an opportunity for us to fix that relationship as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This one's kind of long, but I want you guys to really get this. It says, For Christ himself has brought peace, shalom, to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. If we're in Christ, we are one people. Um, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace 
to you Gentiles who were far away, and to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus came and he reconciled us to God, reconciled us to each other. You know, this was how he brought peace into the world. The next thing we notice is that Jesus didn't just make peace for himself. He gave it away. He turned around, and after he, he brought wholeness and restoration and reconciliation, he turned around and he gave it to the others who were his followers. John chapter 14, verse 27. This is on the night of his betrayal. They'd gathered for one last supper, and the disciples are confused. Jesus is, 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 is describing things that were going to happen that, and, and saying, listen, this is coming. It's coming down the pike. It, in fact, it, it's right here, it, and, and I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to leave you. And one of the last things he said to them uh, in, in verse 27, he said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give, the shalom that I give, is the gift uh, that the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. Jesus, in his person, he, he, he restored things to how they should be. He created completeness. You know, he was the most complete person, the, the most complete human that had ever existed. He did it all. He did it right. He provided us an example. He, he provided us a template. I'm, I'm, I'm not a super creative guy in some ways. In some ways I am, but in others I'm not. Uh, and, and as far as like drawing, you know, when we would have to do art class, uh, I, I never did very well when they would just do free form and they would just say, you know, just draw whatever you, you want to. Think of something, draw it, paint it, color it, however you want to do it. I didn't do very well with that. But if I had a pattern or a template I could look at, if I could see, then I could take that and I could copy it and I could, I could do it pretty well. And we, we're the same way. A lot of times you go into a new job and, and, and if they tell you to do a task, you won't know how to do it until someone shows you how to do it. That's what Jesus did for us. He showed us how to live peace. He showed us how to live as we were designed to be. So the completeness, the wholeness, the restoration, the reconciliation, the well-being, the thriving, the flourishing that God desires for all of us, Jesus showed us that, and he said, listen, I'm giving that to you. So in this period of, of Advent, as we're preparing uh, to, to celebrate the birth of Christ, one of the things we're celebrating is we're celebrating the restoral or the, the restoration of, of, of everything that God designed and desired for us. There is a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Anybody ever thought about that before? You hear this term peacemaker and peacekeepers. You've got the, the UN peacekeeping force, right? Uh, and then you've got people who, who they're peacemakers, not pacemakers, peacemakers, right? There's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peace can be kept many different ways. You can keep the peace by avoiding you can say, listen, we're just not going to talk about politics at the family gathering, you know, because we're going to avoid that topic because we want to keep the peace. Or I'm not going to talk about religion uh, to someone who, who's not a, a Christian because I want to keep the peace. Or I'm not going to even walk down this hallway at work because I'll have to walk by a, a particular person's cubicle and I don't want to have to interact with them because I want to keep the peace. We can keep the peace by avoidance. Another way we can keep the peace is we set up rules and guidelines. We, we, we say, listen, we're, just, we're not going to do that. Uh, 
You look at the streetlights outside. That's an effort to keep the peace. It, it gives everybody their own turn. Why? Because if it doesn't, it's chaotic and, and people are running into each other and, and cutting each other off. And so we've created systems and rules and guidelines on, on how we can all interact peacefully. And so we can, we can create peace that way or keep the peace that way. And, and you can even keep the peace with the application of force. You know, anybody who has sibling children, you know that sometimes you just have to put the fear of God into them and say, listen, we're not going to fight because if you fight, I'm going to get you, you know? Uh, Wyatt Earp, he had his famous revolver, the peacemaker, right? Which I think was a little, uh, a little bit misnamed. It should have been the peacekeeper. Uh, but anyway, he was famous for that. It's, you didn't want to be on the wrong end of Wyatt Earp's peacemaker. So you can uh, keep the peace through the application of force. And so while all of these methods, they might lessen or even prevent conflict, they don't have the ability to create this state of well-being and flourishing and thriving that God desires for us. There, we have to approach it from a different uh, aspect. And uh, if the musicians can come and, and help us prepare, we're, we're getting towards the end here. Um, but just as peace, uh, Jesus made peace and gave it away, we should also be looking for ways that we can give peace to other people, to everyone around us. And that's what we're talking about when we use this theme of becoming Christmas. We don't want Christmas to just be something that we experience uh, and, and, and live through and, and then you know, move past, right? Uh, Christmas isn't something that should just uh, be uh, something that, that is, is just a highlight on the calendar, um, so this is what we're talking about uh, with peace. Peace is not just an absence of conflict. If that, That's a very low standard to have, right? I can get along with just about anybody if I can just keep my mouth shut, right? So when we're talking about peace, we're talking about more than that. We're, and we're not talking about just some nebulous feeling of goodwill that we want for everybody. You know, the, when you're down in the South and everybody's very kind to you, you walk in the store and everybody's howdy and waving and all that kind of thing, you know, th that's not peace either. Peace is, is something that we live out and that we share with others. It's a way of making things right in your family or with your friends or, or at work. It's a way of restoring things to the way they should be. Now, recently I've discovered this new category of videos on YouTube, and I have been captured by them. <laughs> I watch them uh, over and over. It's, it's weird, and, and what it is is they take these old tools and old gear, and, and they, they take them and they disassemble them. They take them all the way apart. They strip all the paint off of them. They, they, they put them in chemicals and stuff to clear the rust away, and then they get after them with a wire brush. They repaint them. They re-varnish them. They, they put them back together. They, they fix the parts that are broken. They, they, if it's a, an electrical, uh, like a power tool, they'll re-solder all the connections and replace the broken plugs. And, and at, at the end of this process, it, usually those things are about 10 minutes long, so they speed them up and they do like a time lapse. And so you see what, what was this nasty, gnarled old uh, circular saw that was so locked up with rust that it couldn't do what it was designed to do. And they take this thing all the way apart, they clean it, they restore it, they put it back together, they, they put it back the way it was supposed to be, and, and, and it can do its job again. And, and it's... Uh, 
I don't, I don't know why the, the, these things are, are so interesting to me. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched them restore axes and hammers and, and uh, coffee grinders and bicycles and everything under the sun. It, it's, it's a strange thing to, to, to look at. But there's just something about putting things back the way it's supposed to be that, that is, is captivating to me. So how does that tie into this idea of peace? Well, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be that worker who's, who's taking things apart, who's, who's examining, who's fixing the things that are broken, who's, who's uh, painting the things that need paint and, and restoring things. And, and that's what we're supposed to be doing for everybody that we come into contact with. And sometimes when you look at the world and when you see uh, how messed up everything is, you think, man, this is an impossible task. You think, there's no way that we're going to be able to do this. Well, there's a, there's a little recipe that you can use that can help you uh, to, to live out peace for others. Number one, you can have humility. Humility is the act, it's the art, it's the discipline of thinking of others before yourself. You, it's, it's not... Uh, as C.S. Lewis said, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You know, I'm not concerned about what am I getting out of this? I'm thinking about how can I be a blessing to someone else? You know, and, and you expand that to every area of your life with my time. How can I use my time in a way that's not selfish, but I can use my time to bless others? I can make phone calls. I can pray for someone. I can help somebody accomplish a task that they can't do on their own. You can do this with your money, right? How can I invest and, and use my money to sow seed into the kingdom rather than patting my bank account or, or, or building my investment portfolio? Humility can extend to every area of your life. It can be something as simple as, you know, letting other people and thinking about what they desire. You know, it's something as simple as where are we going to go eat after church today? You can put your foot down and say, I want Mexican, right? You know, or you can think of other people. You can put yourself first, uh, put other people first. And so humility is the first ingredient if you want to be able to create peace and build it. The second thing is patience. You got to have patience. Um, one of the things we talked about uh, in a leadership meeting that I was in this last week, we talked about how sometimes we get frustrated when people aren't moving as quick as we're moving. There is nothing more frustrating than if you're in the fast lane, you're trucking along, you're moving along, and then there's some little, uh, you know, some little car up in front of you that, that's bebopping and, and it's in your way and it's keeping you from getting where you need to be. And it's the same way with people. Sometimes we're able to think about things and process things quickly. We get through it and, and we think, man, this is easy. And then we have to wait for someone else to come along. Sometimes we deal with things differently. You know, we, we, process, we process a loss. We process uh, a, a promotion or, or, or whatever. We process things at different speeds. And so we have to be patient with others. Give them time to work it out on their own. You know, sometimes we expect people to just pick, your, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move on. And sometimes you, they just need a moment. You can be patient with people when they're, when they're lashing out at you. Because a lot of times, how many of you guys have ever said something and, and you thought about it a little bit later and you regretted it? 
Well, when I open my mouth and I insert my foot, I hope that that person is going to be patient with me. Because if they'll be patient, I'll probably walk it back. I'll probably say, that wasn't very wise of me to say. But if they're not patient, that's when you see conflict. The next thing you can do is have some long-suffering love. Life is hard. The situations that that we have to face, sometimes you, you look back on it, and this is a time of year when we begin to look back on the previous year and we think, man, look at all the things we've been through this year. And when you look back on things, sometimes it's like, how did, I, how did I get through that? I don't even know. I don't know how I survived that. You know. And when people are going through something, you can be there for them. You can, you can show long-suffering love towards them. You can be a calm, consistent, comforting voice that's there. And sometimes people don't need another fixer, right? They don't need someone who can fix your problems. Um, I said that to someone not too long ago. I said, I I don't know how to help you, but I'm here. I I don't know the right things to say. I don't know the things to do to fix this problem, but I'll be there for you. I'll pray with you. I'll support you. And we'll get through this together. So those are the ingredients that you can use to create peace in your life and share it with others. Life is turbulent, life is hard, and sometimes we just need somebody who can be a voice of peace in our life. As some of you know, last week, my father-in-law passed away. That's why we weren't here last Sunday. We were at his funeral. And at the funeral, they... You know, several people got up to share, and, and, and they shared some amazing things about his life. You know, he, he lived some amazing experiences. And they talked about his, his boyhood and, and, and how he would travel around the country as his father conducted tent revivals for thousands of people. And then later on, he had his own evangelistic ministry, uh, uh, traveling around the country, singing and preaching. And they talked of the souls that were saved. And they talked of the people who came and they lived in his rehabilitation center and, and got their life back on a, on a good footing. And while those things are amazing, and I believe that he's experiencing the joy of those rewards right now, the thing that really spoke to me is they described him, and they didn't use this term, they didn't call him a peacemaker, but that's what he was. He was a humble man. He was a patient man. He was a long-suffering man. And more than any preaching ability, more than any singing ability, more than any ability to point people to the Word, the man was encyclopedic when it came to knowledge of the Word. More than any of that, I think the thing that empowered him to make a difference in people's lives was that he was a peacemaker. When you were in his presence, you just felt that peace. And that's what we need to be to everybody we come into contact with. You live in a city. You have neighbors. You have family members. And they need peace. They need somebody who can be there for them. Be a peacemaker. Our world needs peacemakers. You look at the news, you turn it on every day and you see families that are hurting because one of their loved ones was shot and killed. 
You see countries that are button heads over control of silly things like oil and resources. You see, you see political struggles where people are, are speaking about each other in the most hateful possible terms they can think of. Whatever slur, whatever uh, insulting thing they can think of, they sling it at the other. We need peacemakers. We need people who won't take offense. Every time somebody says something wrong, I say something wrong just about every day of my life. And please don't be offended when I say something dumb to you because it's going to happen. We need peacemakers. So as we come to the end of this service, I want to join together. I want us all to stand up. Let's everybody stand up. And I think just as pastor said after the praise and worship, uh, there is power when two or three gather in his name, when they agree on something. And so I want to pray for peace today. Some of you in this house have a family that is full of conflict and contention and hard feelings. We're going to pray for peace in your families today. We live in a city where people are shot, people, uh, houses are broken into, we, we divide up into different areas of town and we don't get along with each other. We're going to pray for peace in our city. We live in a country that's divided by political parties. We're going to pray for peace. And we're going to pray for our leaders to begin speaking peace instead of trying to score a political point and taking jabs at each other. We're going to pray for peace. We want to be like they, they said where we beat our swords into plowshares. A sword, what does it do? It tears apart. It destroys. What does a plowshare do? It builds something. It creates something that's of a benefit to everybody. We're going to pray for that. So as we get to, to this time, I'd like you to grab the hand of someone next to you. And if you're not close enough, scoot on over. All right? It's holiday season. We're all dressed up pretty. We look nice. And we're going to pray for some peace today. Father God, we thank you for this Advent season. We thank you for this time of hope and anticipation and waiting as we prepare to celebrate the coming of Christ into our world. Lord, this is the Advent of peace, the advent of, of the restoration back to the way things were supposed to be, the way you designed the world to be. Father God, we live in a turbulent world, and it's been that way for as long as humans have existed. The problems change, the places and, and the faces change, but the problems are the same. Really, it's a lack of peace. And so, Father God, today we want to pray, and if there's a a person in this house today where there's contention in their family. Lord, we pray for peace over that situation. Lord, we pray for, for soft words, words that heal. We pray for uh, forgiveness, you know, letting go of the, of the bitterness of, of, of past hurts. Lord, we pray for peace for every family represented here today. Father, for our city and for our country, Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for wisdom. We pray for, for brotherhood to arise. And rather than tribalism and, and, and mudslinging, Lord, we desire for peace. 
Lord, we want to, to restore things, to, to reconcile things. Lord, you, you accomplished that through, you, through your sacrifice when you created bridges between the Jews and the Gentiles. All distinctions go away. We're one in you. And so we pray for your peace. Father, in our world as a whole, Lord, there are people today that when you talk about peace, they just don't even have any conception of that. They're locked in a fight for survival every day of their life. And they don't have any peace. But Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them peace. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would send a Christian person into their life that can give and share the peace that you've given them. Father God, as we enter this time of Christmas, we don't want to get caught up in the materialism. We don't want to get caught up in in the activity of of holiday parties and, and, and shopping and all those sorts of things, Lord. Help us to be ministers of peace to everyone we come into contact with. We know that you're going to help us with this. How do we know that? Because you've given us a peace in our spirit. We know that we can trust you. We know that we can rely on you. And we thank you for the peace that you give. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get to the end, and uh, we have a a baby dedication that will be occurring uh, after the, the conclusion of the service. Um... But I, I would like to just say...